After Tuesday's talking point uh, Titanic crash uh, of a conversation and the subsequent uh, follow-up on X. Uh, so I'd love to hear from you. If you got strong feelings, you can express them here, 809-20-1580, or you can keep on expressing them online. We're at KBLA 1580 on all platforms, and I am at Prima Radio, D-I-P-R-I-M-A, and then radio. Please like, follow, subscribe, and comment. Joining me to have this important conversation is a human and civil rights attorney with a specialty in criminal defense. She's been doing it since 1994. She graduated from Cornell University, thank you very much, and got her law degree from UCLA School of Law. Um, she worked with uh, Chokwe Lumumba at the Black Law Institute while she was still in law school and uh, co-organized and directed community organizing, uh, that aspect of the defense of the LA4 uh, plus a nickname given to those men who were charged in that attack on Reginald Denny. She um, is the executive director right now of the Black Alliance for Just Immigration. Attorney Nana Giamfi, welcome. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. <laughs> yep. I feel kind of bad, but not really, because I feel like every time I invite you on lately, we're talking about immigration. There's lots of other things to talk about. But every time we think that, well, every time I think it couldn't get any more crazy, it does. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is where we are. Um, we right now are looking at a Senate bill and that is really the part of what I call Biden's broken or bankrupt um, border bill because he's the person that's been trying to get somebody to sign it, whether it be on the House side or, or the Senate side, um, to turn into law a lot of policies that are not only going to harm migrants, particularly black migrants, which, you know, who are the people that aren't talked about hardly at all, unless we see images of them getting whipped, right, by people on horseback. Um, and also is going to translate into uh, enforcement that's going to be harmful to African-American communities as well, right? So for Baji, we fight for the rights of black migrants and African-Americans, and we try to look at, from that lens what's happening on the immigration side that also is going to impact African-Americans in particular ways, and this bill is one of those things. Okay, so we got a lot to cover here, and uh, luckily I know you're, <laughs> you're very... Uh used to doing radio, you have your own radio show, so we can get a lot in a little bit of time. So what we what what you're talking about is this is so called um bipartisan bill. Um it's a hundred and eighteen billion dollar bill that is coming out of negotiation between Republicans and Democrats in the Senate, along with as you say, the Biden administration. Um but <clears throat> I mean Ironically enough, it looked like it was going to pass, and then Trump kind of did his secret smoke signals on uh, on that platform, Truth Social, that he has, and let Republicans know that he didn't want to give Biden what he considered a win. He wants to be able to run on immigration um, as a problem and the borders being inundated. So, I mean, it's ironic because it sounds like, in this case, you're thankful that Trump is tanking this bill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it won't be the first time. Um, yes. I mean, and maybe for the first time with Trump, but not the first time necessarily with Republicans. Uh, you know, the reason that they're tanking the bill is not a good reason. 
because it's just them listening to their little leader, as um, Representative Jasmine Crockett calls him appropriately, um, uh, out of Texas. But the reality is that, yes, this bill is a bill that we don't want to have passed. And from a political perspective, we don't care how it's gotten rid of. Um, however, we do need to deal with some of the negative aspects of this bill just because they continue to cause the kinds of conversations you had on Tuesday in terms of the misinformation or the narratives that this kind of bill puts out there. Right. So I want to deal with some of those things. I mean, when you refer to Tuesday, you're talking about a a discussion with um, conservative out of Chicago, Mark Carter, and um, it's more, I think it's more extreme in, in Chicago. <clears throat> but we're seeing these clashes in a lot of big cities because Republicans have successfully bust immigrants um, from border states to big cities, and, and they've done it to put a strain on the safety net and put a strain on the budget of those cities, which is ironic considering the blue states and blue cities are underwriting a lot of their budgets as it is um, with our revenues. That said, there are, I think, a growing number of black people who feel that this influx of immigrants and the, and the um, resources that go to them um, punishes black people, undermines our ability to get funding for our schools, for our own health care and, um, and resources that are needed, housing and, and, uh, th- and the like. So I think there's two things we need to separate, and I'll do so quickly. One issue is have black people, and when I say black people, I'm going to say specifically um, African-Americans, even though we all live together, so there's no black community that doesn't have black migrants in it. And again, it's because people are ignoring the black migrant part of this conversation that we've been having this conversation at this level, right? But okay, Um, when you look at black folks, have black communities been abandoned by government? Absolutely. We see what's happening with housing. We see what's happening with services. A lot of money is going to police, not enough money into our communities. Got you. The other issue, however, is whether or not migrants coming in um, whether they be black or not, are taking away. And that's not what's happening. This abandonment happened before. And because there is some funds that come in that are specifically because people are, um, for example, refugees, that does not mean the same thing for these asylum seekers that are coming across the border. They get nothing. They don't, they, there's nothing that they are entitled to. I will say that what we do as Baji is talk to elected officials doing right that right here in L.A. with the city and the county saying, look, you've got to reverse your policies that have led to the abandonment of black communities and see how we invest in communities uh, that are vulnerable across the board. And so really leaning on, for example, the experience of black migrants to lift the boats for African-Americans as well. That's how we should be moving them. Not prioritizing migrants, not not saying migrants can die, but figuring out how we leverage together to be able to get the government back on the page of providing for our communities. Well, Mark and his some of his colleagues say that, you know, black veterans are dying on the streets of Chicago while um, migrants are, or what he would call illegal immigrants, are um, having, you know, housing, being put up in schools, being uh, having tent uh, encampments erected for them. 
Right. And so I think we, again, have to pull the, you know, the pieces apart. So when we look at what is happening with respect to uh, migrants that are coming in and that are being provided with some level of housing, et cetera, in Chicago, because understand that ain't happening in L.A., um, but in Chicago, um, where some of that is occurring, initially that was occurring as a response, as you said, to these buses, because when you say you're bringing in people to protect them, you do have a responsibility at the border, you know, Texas the towns as part of their... When you say protect them, you're help. talking about as asylum seekers, not necessarily as Correct. the sanctuary city concept. Correct. Not The sanctuary city concept doesn't have anything to do with that. What that means is that they won't call ICE on you, and every sanctuary city calls ICE on you. So that, But that's a separate conversation, a separate show. This is about... When there's a convention that the United States has signed onto that made it U.S. law around asylum. You know how people say, if Trump gets elected, I'm going to run to Canada? You'd be running to Canada as an asylee, okay? Say, help me because of my government, right? Right. And then Canada will be responsible to doing something for you if they accept you in the country. They can't say, here, yeah, I'm coming to protect you, but go ahead and, and sleep on the sidewalk. On the other hand, most migrants are sleeping on the sidewalk. Only people who are getting anything at all, which is very little, are maybe the folks that came on the buses, which black migrants did not. So the black migrants that are coming across the border are sleeping right next to the vets on the ground, um, speaking no English, you know, not having any support. No one's helping them out. That doesn't mean that we are saying as black migrants, therefore they should shut down the border, even though we are being discriminated against. Because I would tell Mark that 20,000 Ukrainians were resettled in Chicago. If he didn't scream about those 20,000 white folks, I don't want to hear him screaming well, about I mean, 20,000 he'll, he'll say he's screaming about everybody. I mean, because I actually we had that we had that exchange. But um, I, I want to, you know, and, and, and we, we'll do it some of it when we come forward. But I want to do it before I forget. If I ran to the uh, border, to the Canadian border, and I said, "Help, help!" Um, they've reelected Trump, and I, you know, and I feel that I'm going to be targeted as an outspoken critic of Trump. What would happen to me? I mean, this is one of the arguments I consistently hear. If you show up at anybody else's border, asylum seeker or otherwise, you're going to get thrown out. No, that's not true. You're not going to get thrown out. And in fact, that's why the United States is trying to negotiate stuff with Canada, because they're like, hey, we want to make it so that people aren't coming through our country trying to get to your country. The United States is not the number one country even um, that brings in uh, people who are asylees. If you look on the continent, Egypt, Tanzania, uh, Uganda, Kenya, all of these countries are doing more proportionally than the United States is doing. But anyone that signed that treaty has to let you in. So, yes, Canada would have to let you in. Just, be, just like in the United States and all over the world, you'd have to prove that you're actually running from persecution. You couldn't just say that with your mouth. You'd have a hearing. You'd have to prove that. If they agreed with you, then you would be able to stay. And if they didn't agree with you and you had no other legal basis for staying in the country, then you'd be deported. And that happens in the United States every day. In mm. fact, we have more deportations happening now than we have had since Obama. Remember how I used to call him over the deporter-in-chief? That yep. crown has been taken from him. Okay? So By this Biden? country is deporting people. By Biden. Yeah. This country's supporting people. It's expelling people without even letting them have the hearing. It's doing all the things that people say it is not doing <laughs> in order to 
show that they are not just letting people run over the border like the marauding crowd in the movie Birth of a Nation. <laughs> These are talking points based on lies. And you know what? These are the same lies that you can see if you go um, and search on the Internet that you had people in L.A. who were the first black folks to get here literally saying, and I, I just don't want, I hear people are coming from Mississippi, Mississippi and Alabama, and they're going to interrupt our lives and change our lives the way that they were, because that's what people say. Remember Katrina? People were calling those kids Katrina kids. That's what people do when people come into their communities when their communities are already stretched. Mm. We got to know history, know present, and build a different future with an understanding of what's going on here. Stop falling for the okie doke. Goodness gracious. Well, yeah, that's kind of what Talking Point Tuesday is all about. But of course, that's kind of what uh, KBLA Talk 1580 is all about. If you have the other doke, then you don't have to get. The okie doke. <laughs> you can get the F A C T S, the facts. We're talking with uh, Attorney Nana Jomfi and you, if you want to jump in, 800 1580. The topic immigration. What is really going on? What should we as progressives be doing about it? What should we as black people, uh, especially black Americans, be knowing and doing about it as well? This is KBLA Talk 1580. A safe place to go loud, loud, loud. A great place for progressive politics. KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. Yeah, we're talking with attorney Nana Jamfi. She's the executive director of Baji. You can find them at Baji Tweets on, uh, on X. Um, they are the Black Alliance for Just Immigration. She's also a civil rights and uh, criminal attorney uh, who's been involved in many a justice campaign. So some folks are obviously being disingenuous and spreading, you know, misinformation, but there's also a lot of confusion. So we, we just talked about this idea of asylum, um, asylum seeking. If I run to Canada, they'd, they'd uh, take me and find out if I could prove that I was in danger from the orange menace and if I couldn't then I would be ejected if I could would they put me in a tent and give me uh, Canadian food stamps I mean or you know I, I I think part of the problem or part of what what people criticize here is that because our immigration uh, courts and and our system processing system is so backed up that people are released into the country and may never show up to court or may it may be years before they actually get uh, to that hearing where someone decides whether they have a credible claim of um, of you know refugee status. Yeah, let me talk specifically about black migrants because that's my crew, right? Okay. I mean, black migrants come from everywhere. So they come from every country. They come from Mexico. They come from Central America, the Garifuna, for example. They come from Brazil, the Colombia, everywhere. But also the folks that people don't really talk about from the Caribbean, from the continent of Africa, et cetera. So folks that make it that are black migrants that are able to make it to the border are coming through a lot of danger. They are risking death. They're risking rape. They're risking robbery. They're not coming for Disneyland. They're not coming so they can come to this country and have to live in the shadows. They are the people that, if this were a movie, we'd be rooting for them to make it out of danger, persecution. We'd be rooting for them to make it through all of the trials and tribulations to be able to get to this land where they would be protected 
and we, the moviegoers, would be totally disappointed to find that when they finally got to the place that they had been trying to get to for months, that they were being treated um, like vermin who were coming to poison the place. People, uh, the reports show that 90% and sometimes more of asylum seekers come back to court. They come back to court because they want to get the status. They want to be able to send their kids to school, go to work, all of the things that they cannot do in their countries because they're being persecuted, they want to do here. They're not here for a nefarious purpose. It's not like they're fugitives hiding from the law. No, they're coming here. They're presenting themselves. They're saying who they are. They're filling out forms. They're going to court, right? These are the same kind of lies that we're told about why you can't have a no-cash bail system. They're going to come to court, and, you know, what they have various possibilities in terms of what may allow them to be able to stay here. They're going to try to exercise those possibilities and stay here. So the idea that people are coming here and they're going and hiding so that they can make $3 an hour under the table and be abused by people with no labor rights is preposterous. That's not why you leave your country. Yeah, the other thing that I heard a lot in the conversation in in X spaces is that Asylum law, and I, I'm not a lawyer, and I, this isn't my area of expertise, but that asylum law requires that you go to the nearest country that could offer you asylum. In other words, you're not a, you shouldn't be coming from Africa all the way through Mexico or around the Canadian border to get into the United States. If you're in Africa, you should go to the nearest African nation. If you're in you know, Latin America, you should go to the nearest Latin American country. Yeah, that's not correct. Asylum law clearly says that you can go to any place that you choose. You get to choose where to go for asylum. Refugee is different. In refugee, you go to the refugee office in your country and say, hey, this is terrible. Send me anywhere. And they send you anywhere. But asylum is not the same. If you go someplace, you can pick where the place is. That's number one. Number two. Most asylum seekers have gone to other places. So most asylum seekers on the continent do go to the, some another place on the continent, never make it here and don't even try. Um, those who have tried or do try to come to the United States from the continent have already tried in other countries. Folks in Central America and South America have already tried in other countries and have not been able to get, a, get protection there, have not been safe there, and have bought into the story that the U.S. says tells the world that the advertisement that this is the place where you can be safe. Now, you know, they don't know that the police will just can shoot you dead as a black person walking around these streets. We have to let them know that as Bashi when they get here so that they have a better understanding of what safety is and is not for black people in this country. But that, you know, that's their understanding is that the U.S. is safe. And so they can choose to go from wherever they are to the United States. That is asylum law. That's what they're trying to change to make something different in this country. But that is what the law is. And that's what it's been for for a long, long time. Um, it, you know, that's an important distinction. I think even for myself, I have some confusion about the difference between an asylum seeker and a refugee. Right. Because they, you know, they're both seeking protection. Sometimes put the, people put them under the same hat. But when someone says they're a refugee, 
they are a person who's going usually to a place like the UN uh, Office of Human Rights, right? The Human Rights Commissioner and saying, hey, because of my situation, I have to leave my country and I need some place to go. You have people in Sudan that are doing that right now. They're going, of course, not in Sudan because it's a war. They're going to Egypt. They're going to Kenya, right? And, and saying that they're a refugee and trying to see where they can go. A place like the United States has supposedly 125,000 spots for them, but hasn't even done 12,000 of those spots or something outside of if you're Ukrainian, okay? And so in that vibe, you could end up anywhere. They could just say, okay, you end up in Denmark. Don't you question sometimes, like, why are there these African people living in Norway? (laughs) Yes, well, because Norway has spots, and Norway says, I'll take them, and then they end up going to Norway. That's different than an asylum seeker who is taking themselves to a space, sometimes to an embassy. Remember Julian Assange? Yeah, Julian Assange went to the embassy um, seeking, or was was it, <clears throat> well, first, yeah, I went to the embassy in Bolivia, I think it was, uh, seeking asylum, uh, or, so, because he was actually, um, yeah, trying to avoid extradition here to the United States of America. We've lost attorney Nana Gianfi working on getting her back on the phone, but when you talk about, um, you know, misrepresentation of what, uh, what asylum seekers can or cannot do um, and, and, and the difference between asylum seekers and refugees. Um, the other argument or the other talking point, I guess I'll call it, I think we have Attorney John back, is that if you are an asylum seeker, you can't come, earn money, and then go back to, you know, once you've earned money, go back to the country from which you came because that definitionally means you are just here for economic opportunity. Yeah, but asylees don't do that. Like when someone comes here and says they declare asylum or they want to claim asylum, and they're not trying to go back. That's the whole point is that they're saying that because of the danger in my home country, I cannot return. And in fact, they're not able to return in that process. If you're sitting around in that process, you're not able to now say, hey, I'm asylee, but I'm going to go back. The people who are seeking asylum that are being deported back are not asking to go back. They would rather not be deported back. They're deported in shackles, in you know, in handcuffs and with shackles on their feet. This is not a voluntary action on their part unless they self-deport, which is, you know, the, those folks don't have any funds. You don't get even the right to a work permit for six months as an asylee. Six unless months, you're right, Venezuelan in, in New York. <laughs> unless right, you're, exactly. Unless you're, a- unless you're on a parole program, right? So if you're Cuban, Venezuelan, Nicaraguan, Haitian, those are the only folks who are able to have a sooner work permit situation. But everyone else, um, you know, and you're not Ukrainian or Afghani, right, or from Afghanistan, but, you know, the average black migrant, for example, uh, who is not able to do that. So they just are trying to figure out how to survive for five, six months without government money. No one's giving them money. They don't get credit cards. They're not getting any of that. And... They, if they don't have family, which some of them do, but if you don't have family, then you're depending on folks like Baji or other organizations that are trying to see how we can help folks out with, 
you know, toiletries and backpacks and those kinds of things. Otherwise, you're just sleeping on the sidewalk. Talk to folks at L.A. Can. There's all these migrants, particularly black migrants, mm. right there on Skid Row. Right all there right, on Skid Row. We've got news, traffic, and sports right here, then continuing the conversation on immigration with attorney Nana Gianfi, KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where everybody is somebody and nobody is a stranger. You belong here. Okay, we're talking with attorney Nana Jomfi. So much of this conversation might seem basic to you, but I feel like as um, recent polling shows that many Americans feel that immigration is a top concerning issue for them. And as we monitor um, the mainstream media and see that there is a consistent reporting of a crisis at the border. Um, and, uh-huh. and the data seem to show that we have seen an increase in the number of folks coming. Um, but I don't know, you know, at what point does it become a crisis? I don't know. But certainly, the, for whatever reason, the hype is at a point where people are feeling this is a crisis. In fact, um, Mark Carter said on this show on Tuesday that immigrants are being brought in to replace uh, black Americans, that Democrats feel that if they can bring in all these immigrants that will vote uh, for Democrats, which I don't know how they're going to guarantee that, but that would vote for Democrats, then they wouldn't need black Americans anymore and we would be abandoned even more than we already have been. So, you know, that's a version of the great replacement theory, which is literally a white supremacist theory that is used about black people, that they're being overrun by African-Americans. You know, forget about the migrants um, in this country. And, you know, they're looking up and they're seeing the president and the vice president and all of these people that are in positions and going to school are black people. And they're saying, oh, my gosh, we're being overrun. And that's what's leading to the banning of books and the banning of history, the end of DEI, the end of affirmative action. It is the same playbook. Um, And it's based, again, on the same kind of lies. Uh, First of all, most people, when they come into this country, it takes them years, you hear me, years to become a citizen. Years. So it's, it's, uh, you know, the long game that we try to pretend that the white man is omniscient, that, you know, knows everything and is all-powerful and all of that and is planning 20 years ahead for what's going to happen with these people, um, that is foolishness. It, you can't just bring people in and suddenly now they're voters. That's not how it works, number one. Number two, perhaps they're not, they're, they are also, most of the folks that are talking this way, trying to court migrants to vote in their way, right? To vote for Trump, to vote Republican. And talking about the numbers of migrants who are, or people who are immigrants who are voting Republican. So this idea that immigrants automatically vote Democrat is, you know, again, debunked by their own um, understandings of what's happening. Uh, And I would say, thirdly, that when we talk about the replacement, I think it's very interesting. Like, you know, I say this all the time, when we talk about Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, and, uh, you know, we know that that was a rape situation. And then if Tom decides to also go and grab Rosa, Sally would never be looking at Rosa and saying, oh, my gosh, I'm being replaced. It's like, this is foolishness. What we need to be doing is trying to figure out how to deal with Tommy. We're being abused. We're being abandoned. We're being oppressed. 
How do we bond together to push back against abandonment and oppression instead of fighting with each other to be the abandoned and oppressed ones? That doesn't make any sense. That's not a power-building strategy. And some of these people don't want to build power. They just want to follow their little leader. Good for you. But for those of us that want to build power, we understand that we build power by getting together and squaring up with the government and making the demands for what it is that we all need as human beings. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's so much there, but I want to go to Morris from Inglewood. Hi, Morris. You're on with Attorney Nana Jumpy. Inglewood! Good morning, everybody. Boy, am I digging this conversation. Now, check this out. You know your boy, uh, former President Johnson, he once said something, and I think it's relevant today. He said, if you can convince the lowest white man that he is better than the highest black man, then he will allow you to pick his pocket. And what that translates into is he doesn't care about the quality of life he's living as long as he's better than a brother. Now, I want to comment on something. You know the folks coming over here from the southern border? Them some incredible people. Absolutely incredible people. The reason why they're coming over here is because our corporations, which are subsidized, right, they're putting them out of business. They can't grow, uh, they can't grow corn. They have a, that's their economy. That's the staple. They can't survive. So they're going where they, where they can survive. But they never tell you that narrative. They also don't change that the narrative that we went from $1 billion to $4 billion with a B, not with M, with a B, in terms of Lockheed, Boeing, and, uh, uh, Lockheed, Boeing, and, uh, Rayshaw. Their equipment that's going down there, just spy on them people with, the, with their uh, uh, equipment that they have. They're like toys. They're just simply toys. But, uh, sister, I'm glad you're talking about this. What we all need to do is get understanding. And the understanding starts with Christianity. Once you understand what Christianity's ideas are towards you, you can move. But until you address that, you're going to be doing that 360. Dominique, I love you. Have a nice morning. Okay, appreciate you, Morris. Although, to be clear, I mean, someone could be seeking asylum. They could be from any faith. Uh, tradition, they would still have that same right. Okay, so this is not this is not just coming from any party or any particular. Well, probably a party, but not from any particular um, conversation. But what I'm hearing a lot on the internet is that we will not get reparations as Black people because we are spending all the money on immigration. Uh, this is one of the things I was clashing with Mark about because I'm 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 saying show me the connection. Why are we saying um, reparations uh, won't come because of immigration as opposed to reparations won't come because the country spends too much on its defense budget or too much on law enforcement um, or too much on, you know, uh, any other thing? And why? why but I, I, I see a lot of black folks making this argument. We will not get reparations because we are spending the money on immigration. So it's not too much different than the conversation about replacement, right, and the conversation about we don't have housing, we don't have this. It's the same conversation. It's just that they know that as black people, we want folks to have reparations. So they know that. And so they, and they know that that's a, a trigger issue, right, that that's something that's going to make um, African Americans say, oh, no, oh, no, 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 because there's such a push for reparations. I will say this, that the United States today could give reparations to African-Americans in this country. Baji is, has been part of the push for reparations for African-Americans in this country, and particularly in California, uh, you know, and the work that was done here. We absolutely believe as black migrant and migrant-rooted people, because I was born here, as you know, but my parents are born and come from Ghana, 
um, that African-Americans should get reparations. And I would argue that there should be a conversation since most people in their home country are talking about reparations and have a good understanding of reparations to bring in migrants on the side of reparations for African-Americans in the same way they want reparations in their country. You feel what I'm saying? So that this conversation becomes a conversation of international pressure on the United States to give reparations to African Americans. But you got to think outside the box to be able to have that conversation. Um, and, you know, folks are being, again, led by talking heads in other places other than KBLA about what it is that they ought to be thinking about. When, um, when we talk about, you know, the, the terminology, a lot of the news reports in the mainstream media, they say migrants, you hear asylum seekers, you hear illegal immigrants, illegal aliens, um, just plain illegals. And some make the argument that, you know, they're not against asylum seekers, but we are being overrun by illegals. Every other country has laws about what you can and cannot do uh, to get in there. And that the United States is lackadaisical, um, putting asylum seekers to the side for a moment and addressing the issue that of people that just come illegally because they feel that they can. Again, in other countries, it is literally not illegal. It's not against the law to cross the border without, quote-unquote, inspections. You know, in other countries, that's not even a crime. In this country, the number of people, like uh, uh, over 50% of the people that are being tried and convicted um, in federal court right now are being tried and convicted for illegal entry and illegal reentry, quote-unquote. Right, so that should be made clear to people that there's no lackadaisical thing happening here. The second thing, which is even more important, is that people have this notion that there's some kind of process outside of asylum refugee, for example, that there's some kind of process by which people can come here and they should just get in line, fill out their paperwork, and get in line, and don't understand that number one, there's very few processes that people can come to. You know, James Baldwin can get up and go to uh, and go to France. Okay. That is and the French can get up and come to the United States. That is not the case with most countries from the global south and in particular black countries, right? And so you have a process you have to go through. And even you apply, it's three hundred dollars and you get re- this is for the travel visa and you get rejected all the time. In fact, the majority of folks are rejected, but the U.S. still keeps their money. Uh, whole embassies are running off of that money. And so the number of ways you can come are limited. So when you limit the number of ways that people can come, just like anything, then people are going to make a way out of no way. That's what make a way out of no way means. <laughs> you are, there's no way, and you are making a way. And that's what happens. If you want people to have a not go to the no way, right, then you've got to make a way. And that's why people should be joining organizations like Baji and saying, hey, increase the numbers of ways and make it easier for people to have, quote-unquote, legal processes for people to come through here, make immigration administrative process, and let us be able to come in this country like Joe Biden's Irish people came through this country. Or Donald Trump's.
uh, Donald Trump. Well, no, we don't want those people to come to this country. True, true that, but that's but that's what they did. They came on, they immigrated they on did. over here, down um, to his own wife, right? So yeah, oh, see, especially like his, his own and wife. His family. Yeah. So and and she's an anchor baby, right? Because her parents came on in. But anyway, uh, the um, the. <laughs> The other thing is why, yeah, you're saying there are limited processes if you're just trying to come because you want to come. But if you're an asylum speaker seeker, why not go to the embassy or why not check in at a checkpoint? Why go to a coyote or a human trafficker or try to sneak across the Rio Grande? Because they won't take you in these countries. They barely will let you get in the embassy. You'll go to the Ghana embassy. You can't just walk in. I'm telling you, it's amazing. I've actually driven by there. In. Yeah, it's, it, you can't. And you, you can't take pictures of it and you can't walk in. That's true. So how are you going to do that? You know what I'm saying? They purposely have made it so that you as an African, as a Ghanaian, even to get a travel visa to say, I want to come visit my cousin Nana, you cannot just walk into that place. And so they've made it so that you cannot do that. That is a U.S. decision. And I promise you, when I go to Great Britain and I have to go to the U.S. Embassy, I can't go inside of there. Talking to attorney Nana Jamfi, she's the executive director of Black Alliance for a Just Immigration, B-A-J-I, Baji.org, or Baji Tweets on X, continuing the conversation about immigration, legal, illegal, and and other on KPLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Broadcasting live from Lamar Park, USA. Welcome back to your home for unapologetically progressive radio. KPLA Talk 1580. With attorney Nana Giamfi. Uh, attorney Giamfi, tell us if for folks that are interested in finding out more about Baji, joining Baji, or trolling you on, on X, <laughs> what can they do? And uh, talk to me about your, your event today. So, yes, if you want to learn more, go to baji.org, baji.org. You can go to X, as they call it now, um, at Baji Tweet. And you can also go to Instagram at InstaBaji, where we will be today hosting at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, our Insta Live, talking about this border bill, talking more about migration, talking about the connection to the 1994 crime bill, which has its 30-year anniversary this year. i got to come back and talk about that, Dominique. Yes, um, yes, and let's do so that. And so please check in with us and let us build community. Let's build together. Mm, that's a great point. Uh, so that's uh, Instabaji at 9 o'clock, right? Right after this uh, show. You'll have to listen at the same time you listen to Tavis Smiley. Absolutely. Uh, so it looks like the crime, this, I mean, crime bill. Uh, can we repeal that? Okay, that's another show for another day. Um, but it looks like this um, immigration bill is dead, right? I mean, it, it, it failed uh, on yesterday. Um, Republicans are shutting it down. As you say, they're following their little leader. Um so why are we worried about it? Are, are you thinking that th- this is coming back? We've been complaining for years that we need comprehensive um, immigration reform and having a uniform policy that gets rid of some of the racial bias and injustice in the system. It does seem like more resources are needed to process people better um, in terms of the courts and such. Um, why, why are we worrying about this bill that appears to be DOA? Because 
uh, Senator Schumer told these people yesterday that he's waiting to hear what any amendments they have, and so now he's trying to hold together 60 votes um, with the Republicans to get the thing passed today. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see it, but I've I've been wrong before. I didn't think we were going to elect Trump, so... Um... <laughs> So I, you know, I, mean, I, I don't see it myself, but I understand that. I mean, the, the vote yesterday, though, procedural was 49 to 50. That was really surprising to a lot of people. There were people who normally we would expect not to, to vote no that voted yes because they want money to go to Ukraine or because they want money to go to Israel and trying to make it seem like it's not the border. But yeah, we think the border part is horrible, but we must support these this war stuff. And so this is, you know, supposed to be the war bill, really, with the border bill as the chocolate sweetener in the middle. And um, they're talking about pulling out certain aspects of this bill to appeal to Republicans. So, you know, they're not going to be the good aspects you just described. Um, and so we've got to push back. We've got to push back. Um, one of the things that's in this bill, um, which I feel like it will come up, whether it's in this bill or, I mean, the president is actually talking about executive action right now, executive orders on immigration, um, is this idea that he could shut, he would, the president would have the right to shut down the border for up to 270 days a year. Um, some even border agents who, you know, the border um, agents actually, CBT, yeah, they, they, endorse this bill, but some have said that a total border closure could create chaos, especially since it would impact Mexico. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that we know that from Title 42. We've been here before, like not that long ago, that that's what it does. It creates chaos. And President AMLO of Mexico has made it very clear. He's not playing ball. He said to play ball, they got to give uh, permanent visas to five, uh, the Mexicans in this country that have been here for more than five years and the blockade on Cuba, take the sanctions off of Venezuela, and the list goes from there. So that means he's saying he ain't playing ball. So that's going to be hard for them to actually make happen without total chaos. You think they think there's chaos now? Go ahead and close the border and see what happens. They're also saying that this bill would end the practice of catch and release, which means that um, they people uh, could be more quickly removed, right? Absolutely. First of all, the term catch and release is what we use for animals. It yeah, really fish. annoys me when you yeah, use it for sorry. people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not you. No, 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 no. That's the term that they use. So it's not you're not making up the term. I know you, Dominique. This is not coming from you. This is a term that they're used out here in these streets, right? Um, and I think the other piece is that, yes, but people have a right to, if they claim asylum, to go to court and lose, right? And so you're kicking people out without allowing them due process, which is what this country isn't supposed to, you know, be about, due process. Um, so this would be like evicting someone without allowing them a court hearing and saying, oh, this is great, though, because it makes us get spaces open earlier. That's good for landlords, but not so great for us, uh, we who are tenants. Um, also, this idea of credible fear, when you're seeking asylum, they're talking about raising the standard? They're talking about raising the standard. All of these things, by the way, shutting down the border for a quota, the quote-unquote catch and release, raising the standard, all of this is illegal under international law. Um, you know, so it's a genocide, though. So, you know, um, but that's what it is. It's illegal <laughs> under international law. And the United States cannot turn around and tell other countries that they have to follow international law when they just pass laws or try to pass laws that are absolutely breaking the law. 
of, you know, of the international community. Um, so, yes, that's something else that they've thrown into the mix, but it is literally illegal. And um, some of these things are already happening by executive order, which is important to point out. What they're trying to do is to make it the law of the United States of America, right? Um, and that's important. It's important difference. Mm. So now uh, we only got a couple minutes and I have got about a hundred million questions for you. So I'm not going to get to them. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll pass you the mic and, and what do you want to say in this last minute and a half as we process all of this stuff happening with immigration, with possible executive action, uh, and with it, how it impacts black Americans? So I think people should, re- should think about the fact that these systems are all connected. They're not separate systems. Just as we now understand that the child welfare system, for example, is connected to general system of police enforcement in this country, the system of immigration enforcement is not a system that just impacts migrants. Not just because ICE has literally shot dead African Americans, you know, thinking that they were um, migrants, but, you know, you have things like CBP with snipers, which is Customs and Border Patrol, supposed to be on the border, um, with snipers at the George Floyd funeral um, as part of the protests, and that's a report that's on Baji's website, uh, part of the protests that we have against what is happening to black people, they, you know, the, the killings of black people, ICE and CBP, they have so much money that they have time to send them into our protests and arrest people in unmarked cars with unmarked clothes on. We have to understand that any time people push towards a detention and deportation way of addressing things, that increases mass incarceration. There was this same kind of panic about what was happening in our streets and real serious conditions in terms of the 80s and the 90s, and the result was the 1994 crime bill that decimated our communities. Let's not let these folks make that mistake again. Let's stand up now and not have to tell our grandchildren that when this moment happened, we were silent, and that's how we all got riled up as black people. Mm. Turning on a Jumpy, as always, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Thank you for having me, Dominique. I'm quoting Marcus, Marcus Garvey on the way out the door. Uh, he says, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Tavis Smiley is up next. He's got a great lineup for you. I'm Dominique DePrima. Freeman Friday is tomorrow. And until tomorrow, one love.